0: So in this wonderful series, I'm going to tell you that there are some wonderful things that are still coming for us, but sometimes you also have to deal with awful things that are there as well. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what God has planned. What what does the Bible say about things that are going to happen in the future? And we're going to give an overview of the book of Revelation this Sunday and next Sunday because it fits in with what we call Bible prophecy. Even what is happening in Israel, the war in Israel right now, is very connected to the end time events. And uh, I want to encourage you that if you've got friends, believers, unbelievers, they need to be here for, well, they should have been here today. (laughs) Never come to church alone, everybody, okay? Never come to church alone. Bring somebody with you. Uh, But this is going to be very, this is going to open your eyes to some of the things in Revelation of futuristically of what Jesus revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos when he was in exile and he showed him about future heaven and future events. So the book of Revelation points to things that are going to happen in the future, but more importantly... It is the revelation not of just future events which are important but the most central thing of revelation it is the revelation of Jesus Christ so many people get so caught up with the events they miss what really is the focus it is Jesus Christ and you're going to just realize how much he loves you and loves humanity and gives away for them amen you're going to be blessed by it. So I want you to take this. Did y'all get this when you came in? If you didn't get one, you need one, and uh, and it's called it's called wonderful, and it's an overview. It's a diagram of the overview, and you can fill it in, and we'll fill it into so online next week. You'll get part one of it that we did today, and the next part uh, to next Sunday, and uh, but you can fill this in as we go, and I believe you can uh, QR code right. Uh, on live stream, those you watching live stream, there's a QR code on live stream. Take your phone, QR code at your device, and you can have this same brochure in a digital, digital file. And uh, for the folks next week that miss this Sunday, we'll fill it in for them. But I want you to just follow along with this and uh, take your pins out and get ready because I'm going to just move through some things that we see here. And Israel is very key to this, folks. Ever since they became a, nation and, uh, became a nation in 1948, this was promised long ago in Genesis 17 to Abraham that that would be the land. You get into Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all the things that prophesied thousands of years before it occurred that Israel would become a nation, and from the four corners of the earth they would gather. Ever since 1948... Many theologians, biblical scholars say we have been living on borrowed time on the planet when that happened. And we are. I'm not afraid. I'm saying, hurry up, Jesus. Uh, three, I think there are about three or maybe 14 of you that are. Come on, help me. Help me, ready for him to come. I am ready. I'm ready i 'm ready i wasn 't sure all the singles were ready for that until I dealt with sex last week in heaven. if you didn't if you missed it, go listen. is there going to be sex in heaven so Some of you' are not going to hear a word I said from this point on because that 's what 's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the time. I do want to tell you so many of you have asked, Pastor, what is we doing as a church to help Israel during this war and conflict and even people that are displaced even some people that are not jewish that may be in the crossfire of all this how are we going to how are we going to help as a church well first of all don't wait till problems happen to help i know we respond when there are needs but always be engaged first of all you and i should be praying for israel for the peace of jerusalem every day it's, it's, it's as believers we should be praying for the peace we know what peace means it's not it's not a feeling it is a person that's what we're praying for the person peace Jesus himself and find ways that you know we went to Israel the church did we're gonna have another trip that we're gonna plan uh, somewhere down the line here I think 25 or something like that uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna wait till things settle down we planned on 24 but we're wait till things settle down and 25 we're gonna go and you have an opportunity to go Brenda and I went a team of us went and uh, in fact Brenda and I we do something personally uh, that we help families and businesses that are in, uh, in Israel. And, uh, and just, they, they live in areas of Palestine and areas, that area, but they're Jewish people that are there, and it's very difficult for them to sometimes economically survive. And so we found a way to kind of help along. And, and I don't know if they're believers or not. I just know God says those who bless Israel, he's going to bless. And uh, why he chose them, I, I don't know, but that's who he chose. And... Uh, I like what my elder over here says. He says if I want to if if I want to be right, I got to line up with what God is, says is right. And when God is right, I am always wrong. <laughs> Bottom line, I'm going to follow him. That's a whole different teaching. But we're going to I've been I want to get with people that know that the items and the things we have get to the place they need to be. Because when you have a lot of these things sometimes you're wondering who do I give to someone that we trust? And at the end of the service today, you're gonna to have an opportunity to do something above your regular tithe and offering you're giving to the church. We're gonna do something beyond uh, that to be able to help and we're gonna do it through Convoy Hope and I'll give you more information here at the end of the service. So you've been looking for a way and now there's, we have a way that we can do some things for them because they're very well connected with agencies and things in the government that make sure things get to the proper place. So. We'll be sharing that at the end. How many say amen to that? Amen. So we're going to do an overview of Revelation. And so I want you to go to Revelation 22 and verse 12. And uh, I just want you to know, friends, you don't need to be scared what's happening. You do need to be concerned and know how to pray. And the more you know from the Word of God, the less fear you have. And let me tell you, there's only, there should be only one who is scared. Only one. Right. And it's not you. There's only one that is soiling himself every day, and his name is Satan, and everyone that followed them ought to be scared out of their wits. Me, I'm getting more excited because he's returning. I want you to just scare him real good. Let's, let, let's, let's really just stick it in the enemy's face. How about we just all look at the scripture up here on the screens and read it aloud. Revelation 22, verse 12. Let's just say it, not because it's the truth, but just to really antagonize Satan for a moment. How many of you want to do that today? Amen? He says, ready? Come on, join me. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the word of Jesus Christ. Can somebody give God praise over that, amen? That is what makes your adversary scared to Death, because it's done. But when we go and look at Revelation today, I want you to keep the diagram with you, and we're going to just do Act 1. You're going to see where it's the first part of it. But Revelation can be very difficult to understand, and I know there's not there's a lot of different people on differing things of how, interpretation, and time of events, but I want to bring to you what I, what I think, for me at least, is the clearest picture of God's purpose of ultimate restoration of all things under him. This is about the revelation of Jesus. And when I walk through this, because there's a lot of different interpretations of this, but the the, way, the clearest picture I see, I, I'm a strict dispensationalist, and that means that I, I, I interpret history as a series of divine dispensations or a series of divine orders of affair that God is doing. Real clear. So when you understand that, that helps you understand. As I start to unpack this. But here are the two reasons for dealing with the end times, talking about the end times. I don't wanna have an unhealthy preoccupation with it, but you do need to talk about it. And uh, the reason I deal with it is number one, because Jesus Christ is going to return. He's returning, okay? And so what does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ is returning. And when you watch this stuff in the Middle East, don't get scared, folks. Get ready. Get ready. You, I'm just going to tell you, you cannot be living as a careless Christian right now. You just cannot. You can't sit there and say, okay, what? how much sin can I get into, just walk the edge and still make it in by the skin of my teeth? That day's over. You cannot live as careless believers, and you've got to stop your spiritual lethargy. If you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and you know it, you need to be telling people your story. You need to not be afraid to show Jesus in some way by loving people and serving them in order that you, they might ask you a question and you can have a conversation with them. Because if you're not actively wanting to tell someone, or you're not actively serving, or you're not actively, actively participating in getting God's message out, I'm going to tell you, you don't love Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, you don't love him. Because if you truly love him, you would stop living careless. If you truly love him and knew what he did on the cross for you, you couldn't wait to tell anybody. You couldn't wait to give to get his message out to more people. And you would find every way that you could serve and love people with compassion. I'm telling you, you would get involved. But if you're not, you don't love him. Sorry. Sorry, you don't love him. And that's why love is so cheap in America is because it doesn't serve, it doesn't care, it doesn't sacrifice. It just wants something to gratify me for the moment. It's not love. I, I can take you through the Bible to prove it, but we're not on that one, right? So what does that mean? So 2 Peter, you can't live, you can't live in lethargy. you got to be doing something. you got to get closer to Jesus Christ. Here's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. It says, most importantly, says, he said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From the beginning... From from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They're saying, Well, then where is he? Where is he? Y'all talk about it. The Bible prophesied it. The prophets talked about it. Where where is it? Where is it? Where is it? it?" And they're mocking, they're scoffing you. But why has he delayed? You got to go to verse 8. This is what verse 8 says. He says, A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Friends, he's got something prepared for us that is the expression of his love. So when we talk about these things in the next two Sundays, you're not here to get afraid. Your focus isn't even on on these things that are events alone. Your focus should be on who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what's going to happen for us and for everyone else. So don't get an inordinate fixation. I get see people get an inordinate fixation on prophecy and end times and all this stuff. Listen, folks, it's okay to look at that, but don't get this inordinate fixation on this because there's all kinds of debate. People go, well, I don't know. I think we're going to be in the tribulation. Some people say, well, we're not going to be. Some people are pre-trib. Some people are mid-trib. Some people are post-trib. Well, I'm pan-trib. It's going to pan out just fine. Amen. Okay? God's got a plan, all right? And I know that sometimes we may disagree on these things, but here's the deal. When you look at the word revelation, revelation means to uncover or to unveil or to disclose. And what we're trying to uncover and unveil and disclose is not just events. That's not the focus of revelation. Revelation is Jesus Christ, the revelation of who he is. In fact, He is called the revelation, everybody. When you look at the word, that's who we're looking at. He's called the true and the faithful witness. Come on. He's called the firstborn of the dead. He's called the ruler of all the kings of the earth. He was called the alpha and the omega. He's called the beginning and the end in revelation. Come on. He is the one who is, who was, and is to come. Come on. He is the first and the last. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the son of God. He's the word of God. He's the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. And when it's all said and done, He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can somebody get your focus and your praise on Jesus for crying out loud? Get it on him. Get it on him. Get it on him. Woo! So, now as we look at this overview, what I want to do, so now I'm going to talk just a little bit and I'm going to move through this pretty quick and we're going to cover three acts, but we're going to cover Act 1 today. And everybody say thank you, Pastor. We're gonna cover act one. Now the diagram may seem a little confusing, but just stay, stay with me. So we're gonna do this in three acts. How many of have ever been to, this will give you a little better understanding. How many of you have ever been to a play? Okay, Brendan and I, we've been to uh, productions in New York, and when you get up there, you got these acts, and before the act starts, acts one, you can hear the orchestra tuning up underneath there, you know, but you can't see them. Sometimes you can't see them, and then you hear people moving in the background. You see the curtain kind of moving back and forth, and it's kind of going like this. You hear stuff moving around, props, you hear voices, and you hear the violins going, you know, and, and, you're, going, and you're sitting there going, something's getting ready to happen. Something's getting ready to happen. Well, let me tell you what's happening. The curtain is moving right now, and you can hear the angels firing up the instruments and the praiser's getting ready to praise and something's firing up. You see it happening in the culture. So I just want you to get ready. The curtain's getting ready to fold back in a big time way, all right? So this is not a day of fear, folks. But what I want to take you to as we, get, as, as we look at Revelation and the sequence of things that appears how they were, will, will occur, I want to take you to Act 1. So let's go to Act One first. first. So in Act 1, you see, but there are things that occurred before Act 1. And let me tell you some of these things that occurred. These are things that occurred before the Old Testament. This is even before Act 1. And before that, right above their Act 1, you can write in things like uh, the creation of angels. That was, that was there. Lucifer's fall. You'll have that in there. And then the creation of the earth after Lucifer's fall. And then you have things like uh, the age of innocence. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was perfect. No sin. And then you have the mankind's fall, the fall of mankind. You have all those things in there. So that's, that's, those are things that happened before Act 1, okay? So you see all those things in there. But then you see this is Act 1. What we have here is the Old Testament. That's n- number one, the Old Testament. You can put that in there. This is when Moses comes on the scene, and people live by their own conscience. But Moses comes on the scene, and God gives him the law. Uh, the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. You see Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God gives them the law. This is, this is where number two comes in, is the age of law. Men just did as they wanted, but now God gives them direction, he gives them path. You see a prelude to the law given in Exodus chapter 12 verse 41, and that's when they come out after 430 days year, to the day. 430 years, God began to give them things that were precursors to the age of law, which had been things like uh, circumcision. Uh, You see things uh, like Passover. There were certain regulations that God had. You see those precursors. Then under that age of law is Exodus 20. When Moses is on Mount Sinai, he receives the Ten Commandments from God. Here's the problem. God gave them laws knowing that no human being ever born would be able to keep them. (laughs) No one could keep the law. So what did God do? They shed blood of animals to cover their sins but could never wipe them out. So what happens? God knows I must put skin on because I'm the only one that can keep everything in the law that all might be freed from their sins. That's where, number three, you have the age of grace, okay? And when Jesus arrives, a whole new era begins. He begins to introduce this prelude to the grace that he was gonna give. You find this in Luke, uh, Luke writes it in his account, Dr. Luke, in Acts chapter one, verse one. He says, in the, my first book, I told you, Theophilus, About everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken to heaven, so Jesus comes and begins to introduce this age of grace that you can't do enough. There's got to be one, and I'm the one that's going to do it all, so that you don't have to go on bended bloody knees. The priests don't have to uh, to uh, they don't have to offer sacrifices as animals. That was all a penultimate to the ultimate Jesus Christ. Remember we talked about that last week. So what was the penultimate? What was was the ultimate? It was the cross of Jesus Christ. And in John 19, you see his death on the cross, and that my friends, when he shed his blood, the moment he died, the veil that kept men out of the holy place was torn from bottom to top in the temple. It just tore, God just tore it sowing that now man has access through Jesus Christ and not the blood of animals or their own exercises to try to get into his presence how many thank God for that and that enters and ushered in the age of grace and oh what an age it is now Jesus comes to his disciples right after his resurrection he ushers in the age of grace Remember, he comes to the disciples in John 20 and verse 20, uh, verse 20, chapter 20 and verse 20. It starts there. He said this He showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I love this. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when you see this receive the Holy Spirit, it was the breath of life as if God breathed his own breath into the nostrils of Adam and gave him life because he put a spirit in him. This is that new creation spirit that is coming, regeneration, a brand new spirit. That's the reason why you see Paul write things like in in, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You can write that down, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any person, anyone be in Christ, What happens? The old is gone away, and the new begins. Behold, they become a brand new creation in Christ. That's what that was right there. God ushering in the age of grace. But then something happens after Jesus Christ ascends. What does he tell them to do? He tells them, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait in an upper room. I'm going to pour out the power of my spirit. The baptism in the power, not, not new creation. The baptism in the power of the spirit for the believer. And that is the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost, 120 in the upper room. Acts chapter two, they see tongues of fire that looks like fire separating, seem to separate and rest on each of them. And on that day, they begin to speak in unknown tongues and 3,000 people get saved from all different nations and uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds from around the world. How many know that day is still happening right now? Now, I want you to go to number six, because I want to kind of deal with something here in all of this, okay? Under that act one, we have what are called the dead in Christ. This is every believer, after Jesus shed his blood, this is every believer who has died, who surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They are not in Hades. They are not in the underworld. They are with Christ because that's what Paul said. He said, you know, to, you know uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what that is right there. So these are not the people that, these are the believers. And here's what 1 Thessalonians says that he teaches the people in Thessalonica. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That's the dead in Christ that are with Jesus right now having the time of their life. And I talked already about what I believe the activity from the scripture is happening up there. So you need to listen to that if you haven't heard that yet. Now when it says asleep there, please let me show that asleep, that literally is when they see the body, it is the appearance of the body that looks asleep. It is not pointing to the soul is asleep, because Jesus told that guy, today you will be with me in paradise, the criminal. Remember Abraham saw, Uh, 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 The rich man saw Lazarus and Abraham in Abraham's bosom. He saw him there and could see him. There's no soul sleep. It's the appearance of the body. How many of you, when you've seen somebody that you've loved, that they have their body lying in state, you say, they look like they're asleep. That's the appearance of sleep, but not soul sleep. Somebody say amen to that. Now I want to deal with number seven with another group of people, which is the dead without Christ. These are the people who have rejected the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They are in the underworld of what is called hell or Hades, or what you, that, this is those that are in that underworld, they have rejected the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now you're gonna see them appear again later on in act three at number 17. Because their resurrection does not happen the same time the resurrection of the dead in Christ, when their bodies are resurrected. They do not resurrect at that time. You'll find that finally in 17, and we'll talk about that later. But Revelation 20 verse 13 points to that, the dead in Christ that are, now, that are now in hell who have rejected Jesus Christ. It says, Revelation 20 13, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. You'll see that later in Act 3. This lake of fire is the second death. So now they're experiencing what is called a second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These are the folks who will reject the lordship of Jesus Christ have died in the underworld of hell. And there are those, there are those before, before creation who are in that underworld, even, even some of the fallen angels, some of the fallen angels even in that realm. Those people will be resurrected in Act Act 3. You'll see that later coming up. Not when the dead in Christ are resurrected. Now, I want to cover one thing that's in there, but there is one thing that I want to note to you. It's number eight, is paradise before the resurrection is now empty. Now, who are these people? These are the people who followed God, who had died before Jesus Christ made the atonement on the cross. These were the folks who shed the blood of animals knowing that it was pointing to Messiah, the one who would come, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world that would wipe out all the sins of those who would receive him. They looked for Messiah. They were looking, but this is before the New Testament. So after Christ's death, this paradise, this this is a, some people refer to it Abraham's bosom. It was a realm, it was not persecution, it was not torment, but it was a realm because they could not be in the presence of Jesus, because Jesus had not yet been crucified. When he was crucified, the Bible says that he released them from that realm so that they could be with him, so that paradise before the resurrection is now empty. All of those that, who followed God looking for Messiah, in faith by offering sacrifice and following. That's empty. This is why Ephesians says this in Ephesians 4.8. That is why the scripture says when he ascended, speaking of Jesus, to the heights, he led a crowd of captives. They wanted to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. He led them and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And now I wanna come to the last part of what I want to talk about today is the rapture of the church. This is going to close Act 1. It's going to close it. This is going to be the most dramatic event that the planet Earth has ever seen. When millions of Jesus followers are taken up From this earth, and that's when the dead in Christ resurrect, that's when we put on our that's when we put on our new bodies. It's going to be amazing. The church is going to experience this event and the world will be stunned. It will put the world in total chaos when it occurs. First Corinthians, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Here's what he says: But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Let me tell you something. You ain't seen nothing yet, friends. Come on. I know that's bad English, but it's good preaching. You ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 talks about it. It says, for the Lord, come on, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds Come on, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can you get happy about your future? Amen. Get happy about your future. Now, I know there's some people that say, well, rapture's not in the Bible, so I don't agree with it, and I will not use it because rapture is not in the Bible. Well, let me, let me explain this just for a minute, folks. It's in the Bible, but it's not in the English text. Okay? Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. Remember that? It was translated into Latin, then into English. Okay? Remember, just remember that, okay? When you look at 1 Thessalonians 4:17 and you see that word caught up, when Paul uses that word caught up, when you see that, it's a word, a Greek word, harpazo. And that word literally means to be snatched away by force. Just as Jesus ascended, snatched away by force. That word was later translated into Latin, which is where we get the word rapture. That's what it was in, in the Latin. People say, well, it, rapture is not in the Bible. Well, neither is the word millennium, but we know it's there. And neither is the word Trinity. We know there's a God, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. There are words that are not there, but we know it's, we know it's there. Everybody understand that so far? So friends, there's coming a day that God is going to take his believers on this planet. Those who have died in Christ, their bodies will be resurrected, transformed. We will be taken up, transformed, resurrected. I don't know which one I want, but I'll take either one. I just want to be with him. And folks, let me tell you something. When that event occurs, all hell will break loose on this planet. All hell will break loose. The tribulation will come. The great tribulation will come. It's going to be a seven-year period. You're going to hear more about it next, in the next, next, next week. You're going to hear more about it. It's going to be full of events, my friends, that are absolutely frightening. And its effect will be felt around the world. And you say, Pastor, should I be afraid? If you are not following Jesus Christ, you better be afraid. You better be afraid. Because it's happening. And it's going to be seven years of hell unleashed on planet Earth. And we're going to talk about, out of Revelation, some of the sequence of those things. And I'll tell you right now, the church is experiencing precursors to the tribulation right now. We are experiencing them right now. You may not feel them as much, but I'm going to tell you, there are places on the planet where they feel like they're already in it. The churches experience experiencing it, already in it. They feel it. But those are precursors to the tribulation. You heard the prophetic word. I, I did not coordinate this uh, with our brother who had this word. I didn't know the full extent of the word that just came out a moment ago. But Jesus did say that in Matthew 24, that there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of war and threats of war and nations will ri- nation will rise against nation. Really. Ethnic groups against ethnic group, tribe against tribe, famine is going to fill the land. We see famine, you see earthquakes happening in a way we've never seen them happen before. And the Bible, Jesus said, these are the first of the birth pains, it's the beginning of the sorrows. Before that tribulation, we are seeing precursors to that right now. What you see happening right now in Israel are all precursors to the day when Jesus Christ will one day establish the new heaven and the earth, and that's what the fight is over. Just read Psalm 2. You'll know why the nations are raging. Read Psalm 2 and you will see it's a direct assault on the anointed one, Jesus Christ, and his throne in Jerusalem. That's what the fight underlying fight, this is Satan knowing his time is short. It's gonna escalate. It's gonna continue to happen. There'll be economic turmoil. You will see precursors to this, friend. But let me tell you something God promised the church. When you look in Revelation chapter three, look what he says to the church. The protection before that great tribulation. He says in Revelation 3.10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. How many believe God protects his church like you wanna protect your children? Come on, he does. Friends, I'm just gonna tell you something. If you are not, if you're living as a careless Christian, I would be afraid. If you're lethargic in your witness, if you're lethargic as a believer, I would be concerned. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I would be deathly concerned, because I'm gonna tell you, it wouldn't take but one day, and this whole thing changes in the Middle East. Just one day, it takes one involvement of one group, and it changes everything. And we're headed home quicker than you realize. So I'm gonna tell you, friends, you ought to be exercising more faith when the world is going to exercise more fear. That's what's gonna happen. You will be marked as the people with confidence because you know that your God says, I will protect you. And that's why Jesus said in John 14 verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believed in God, believe you also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. How many of you thank God, we already have a place prepared for us and he's waiting and we're waiting. And it's going to be sometime. I don't know when, folks, but I'm going to tell you the taking away of the church is going to happen. You say, "How's it going to occur?" I have no idea how it's going to occur. I just know we're going to be caught up. All I know is I won't need a space shuttle. I won't need a launch pad. I won't need rocket boosters. All I know is we're in a countdown. I don't know if we're at ten. I don't know if we're at nine. I don't know if we're at five. But one day it's going to be three, two, one, and we are out of here, and we're going to be eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, with every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Gathered around worshiping and praising him. Church, get ready. He's coming again, everybody. He's coming again. He's coming again.